0: You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our
1: mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast. We are beyond excited for today's podcast because we have an amazing guest that we've been wanting to have on For a very long time she has an incredible story and she's a true leader and we can't wait to just get into it for you to find out a little bit more about her but beforehand let's start with an amazing introduction because she deserves one or you might already know a lot about her (laughs) um so today we have on the podcast claudia jaramillo she's the executive vice president strategy and corporate development at jacobs she has spent over 20 years in different leadership positions as an engineer and working her way up through finance which is where she found her passion in. She holds an electrical engineering degree from La Universidad Javeriana in Colombia and an MBA from the Warren School. She serves on the board of Generation USA and on the board of the Warren Club of Houston. Previously, she served on the board of the Arabian Drilling ADC and was a member of the UN Global Compact CFO Task Force, whose goal is to reshape the future of corporate finance and investment as a catalyst for growth, value creation, and social impact. And more importantly, and one of the most amazing things that she's done is that she's the founder of WISE, Women Inspiring, Supporting and Empowering Global Program, which sponsors mentorship for women in over 60 countries as a way to help promote women across organizations. So Claudia, thank you so much for being here today. You have an amazing bio and we can't wait to hear just a little bit more about you. Thank you, Marcial and Jamie. I'm so,
2: so happy to be here and that we finally made it work.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen
0: to partner with Veril because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To
1: learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. Well, I had the pleasure, Claudia, of sitting with you on a panel a while back for our Representation Matters event, and I was just blown away. And I'm so excited to ask you this first question, to really get into your story, and to really understand what life was like growing up in Colombia in the coffee growing region, which by the way, is the best place to buy coffee. So <laughs> I love that area. So, you know, explain to us a little bit about what life was like, and did you ever think that you would be where you are today? I
2: love the question because it brings so, you know, I have so many happy memories about my childhood, and I'm lucky that I still go back on a regular basis. So let me first describe you what my hometown is like, and then it'll help understand all these nice lessons that I learned. So my coffee area is a small town, 200,000 people at that time. You know, rolling hills, very green. In the morning, you can hear the birds, you can smell nature. It's very nice. So, you know, in today's world, we talk a lot about mindfulness and all these concepts. So, it's very good to connect with nature. And many of these things today are things that I keep very close to my heart. So, I grew up with a very traditional family in the sense that we were very close to my grandfather, my mother's father. For Christmas, for example, I would spend time with my cousins, my aunts, my siblings. So everybody would get together and have a very traditional celebration, which is something that I still keep very close to my heart. I try to stay closely connected to my family. And then the thing that I said, you know, the connection to nature is something that I believe in everything that I do today is, you know, our concept of what we do in a sustainable way. When I go back to Colombia and, you know, I always go back for Christmas, I get up in the morning, I still follow the same routine, I drink my wonderful coffee, <laughs> I can hear the birds and I can smell nature. So the lessons that I learned when you ask me, my grandfather is one of the big people in my life. I learned from him the first thing, the importance of education and how to respect people based on the importance they would give to core values. So that's the first thing that I would say. And to date, if you ask me, the most important thing that I see is valuing people for who they are and the sense that they have, they are good-hearted people. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one. My mother inherited all that from him, and she's exactly the same. She's the best person in terms of being a good person. The second one is my father. He taught me the importance of always learning. And I still remember one of the Most cherished memories that I have is that I would see my father. He was a doctor, a pediatrician, and every night I would see my dad with these huge medicine books on his bed. I would say, my dad, why are you studying? And I mean, you already studied roughly 12 years, you know, to become a pediatrician. You should be done. And he said, no, no, you need to keep up with all the developments of science. So the concept of lifelong learning and the work ethics that my father had until the end of his career were fantastic. And then the empathy and the curiosity about the world and the people around it. My grandfather used to travel a lot. So my hometown had no contact with the rest of the world. There wasn't even a bilingual school. So I actually learned English on my own. But my grandfather, after he retired, he was a doctor as well. After he retired, he started traveling the world. And he would share all these pictures with us. And I started seeing the world through his eyes and his pictures. And I started being so curious about the world and the curiosity is something that if you ask me today is one of the main drivers that took me to where I am today, the ability to be always curious and learn because I'm curious about the world. I'm curious about the people that I meet, curious about technology and curious about anything new that I can see and learn.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing. I feel like you're such a good storyteller that I could smell the coffee and the nature (laughs) when you mentioned it. So you decided to study electrical engineering and you moved to the big city to begin your journey. Did you have any big plans for what was next for you? And also, what made you choose electrical engineering where it's not necessarily something that I would say young women necessarily aspire to? We are working on it and there are more women coming into STEM, but maybe back then it wasn't something that most women, I would say, in Colombia probably went into What got you that curiosity to explore engineering? Did you have any aspirations of like when you were going to graduate, where you saw yourself? And did you have aspirations to, you know, I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want a nice corner office one day and sell yourself some suits and traveling the world or, you know, like what aspirations did you have for when you graduated? I didn't even know what a corner
2: office was. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't have those aspirations. I was very curious. So that's the first one, curiosity. The first thing, which I still keep to date, was I always made decisions based on is this going to make me happy or not. Today we talk about purpose, but that word did not exist at my, you know, when I was in high school. The concept of purpose wasn't. But when I interpret my thoughts at that time, I was really following my purpose. I still say today, and even when I took the current position and I left Schlumberger, I said, I'm following my heart. And when I was a teenager, I said, I'm following my heart. And I was following my heart in the sense that I chose electrical engineering because I like solving problems. So it was very basic. My thinking was very much, I'm here and I want to solve problems. And I like math and I like physics. I wasn't really thinking beyond that. So I was like, I like to solve problems. And I moved to the big city. So I went from a 200,000 person city to a 7 million person city. So on my own, I was very young. So I moved there, but I was following a dream because I wanted to go to one of the best schools in the country, And my dad even said, are you sure you can do this? It was one of the hardest majors to really get into. The school was coming from a small town even harder. And I did it just following this concept of this is going to make me happy to spend my days just doing things Mm -hmm. that I enjoy. And every decision that I made at that point, and then when I moved to France and fast forward, when I decided to do an MBA... I was always thinking this makes me happy. It was more how I spend my time, where I get my energy from. And just because I was doing the things that felt right, and my parents and my grandfather and all my family taught me those core values that have allowed me to date, continue to be aligned with the things that create value and make me feel good, you know, it led me to where I am. I never had a career plan. I would say the first time I had the concept of a career plan was when I did the MBA and that's really the answer to your question.
1: During that time, did you ever have doubts because you say that you followed like your heart and you followed the curiosity, but even with that there had to be moments where you're like am i doing the right thing like moving to this big school with all these you know millions of people like how did you overcome those you know doubts or fears because they had to creep in at some moment i would assume you just reminded me of something,
2: Jamie, and I love it because it's very topical now when we talk about women in STEM, which is one of the topics that is very close to my heart. And you may have seen that I try to be involved in anything that we can do to have more women in STEM. We call it STEAM because arts, the storytelling is important in STEM. So at Jacobs, we do a lot of women in STEAM. So I remember it was probably my second year in electrical engineering. When I realized there were some things that were harder for me than it was for my peers for two reasons, maybe how brains work differently. And also because I was coming from a school in a small town compared to most of my classmates were coming from large schools and the capital. What I was learning for the first time in my, let's say, second year calculus or physics, they had already learned it in high school. Mm -hmm. I was seeing it for the first time. So for them, this is what like normal. For them, this is like math 101. For me, it was like way advanced. And I had to study harder. So I started to have lots of doubts in my head. You know, what you call, you know, confidence gap.
0: Mm -hmm. I was
2: like, am I capable of doing this? So I went to my mom and I said, mom, I'm not sure I can do this. And you know what my mom said? My mom said, you have the right to fail everything. You know, you can't fail anything, but keep going. Don't quit. Keep going. If you fail, I'm here. No problem and all that. And today I've used this, what my mom said is so powerful that I've used it with many people when I mentor. And I tell you why it's important. The ability to accept failure as a way of learning is so powerful. And many times we quit before we even try and I use this in mentoring a lot because trying and failing is a way of developing muscle. When we think about fitness, we don't think that's a novel concept. Yeah, we go to the gym, we suffer the next day, we can't <laughs> walk, you know, it feels, you feel the pain, you're sore and so on. That's normal. But when we talk about, when we think about business or when we think about school, we don't want to fail. We always want to be A-rated, you know, we want to do that. But that concept that my mom did in a very kind, beautiful way was if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't said, it's okay to fail, I would have said no, because I was always like the top student. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be anything less than that top student, Mm -hmm. but I kept going. And then
0: I realized, yes, I could. But that confidence gap was the first time I felt it. Wow. Thank you for sharing. No, that's an incredible tip. And You can't be successful unless you've failed multiple times. So that's, thank you for sharing that. So developing a muscle. Yeah. It's like developing a muscle. You know, I had never looked at it that way of like the gender and you are getting better every day with the corporate world. You're right. You always want to be A-rated. You always want to be the best, but you're not taking those punches that make you stronger. You know, love that. So let's get back to kind of the story of you climbing the corporate ladder to see how you made it to where you are today. So you didn't join Somberger the traditional way. You didn't enter their famous field engineering path. You didn't join their core oil field business initially either. You actually started in a side company that maybe many don't even know existed called Test and Transactions, which was their electronic chip business. You started this when you were in Colombia. How you got there was pure serendipity. Can you tell us the story of how you got recruited at that event and how important it is specifically for women to learn to build strong relationships that are meaningful and use leverage when needed? Because we've noticed that, you know, a lot of women may have a network or have connections, but they're not using it to their advantage because they might feel like they're taking advantage of someone or asking for help isn't something that we'd like to do. So tell us how you got into that business. So again,
2: thank you for this because, you know, I tell you, there are things that we have inside of us, and sometimes we just don't use it because we forget how much power we have inside of us. So the story is very, very simple in the sense that I had been working as an engineer. I had done project management and all that. I had done, you know, telecom. Interestingly enough, it was solar energy, which at that time wasn't as cool as it is now. So I have been working, you know, and doing those projects. And... I went to a reception and I met this guy at the reception and he asked me, tell me about your job. What do you do? And I was just chatting. You know, I was having fun because it was a reception. Somebody was being promoted and all that stuff, just having fun. And I told him what I did and he said this. So I had what today you would think is an elevator speech. I was just telling my story.
0: Mm-hmm. My story
2: is like, I do these projects and these are the complexity and I fly to all these remote locations. I installed solar energy systems on a private island in the Caribbean and all that. So for me, it was fun. It was connected to where I get my energy, what I enjoy doing and all that. So it goes back to how important it is to do what you enjoy. So I was talking about all these things that I enjoy. then he said, I'm actually looking for somebody who does exactly what you do, that has this profile of managing complexity, this and that. So at that time, managing complexity, I didn't even know what that meant. I was a very stereotypical engineer in the sense that I wanted to solve problems. I was given a goal and I would fix the problem and get the solutions. So I shared that with him and then fast forward, he said, oh, my manager is coming from Argentina and this and that. So I started meeting people here and there. That same curiosity I had been learning about, you know, the euro and many different things, macro and so on. I connected very well with the people he introduced me to, but I wasn't looking for a job. And then they made an offer that was very interesting. And that's how I joined. Now, so we talk about connections. We value, and this is not only women, also technically minded people, we value technical skills very much. At that point for him, it was, communication skills, the ability to tell a story, as you say, and it was the ability to understand, like, for example, how an engineer who installs all the systems is reading about the Euro that at that time was like, nobody was talking about the Euro living in Colombia. Why do you care about the Mm -hmm. Euro? The ability to be open-minded, to be interested about other cultures. I had learned English on my own. I had started learning French on my own. So all these things are important because it allows you to connect with people to understand all the things and the lifelong learning concept, again, is important and the curiosity.
0: And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC.
1: Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they backed that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work.
0: Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition emerging materials and digital industrialization to find out more about their most popular technologies like i-production i-complete e-mission and iepci go to TechniEpFmc.com and now back to the show
1: such an interesting way that you got into such a, you know, the energy space, of especially slumberjay It's not a very common story of how you entered. So thank you for sharing. There's something that really resonated with Mossdale and I about you personally that we kind of reflect on a lot. And it's, it's how outspoken you are. And there's some things that you've mentioned in the past that You know, you say what's on your mind. You like to make decisions and you like to own them. And you mentioned that these are all very good traits. However, as women in corporate, when we behave like this, it can be taken negatively. You kind of can be seen as bossy or like she thinks she knows it all. She has no filter. And we've seen that definitely happen before. How did you manage that in your corporate career with all these biases and never having to change your behavior, even given that maybe some people felt that way?
2: That's a very interesting question because it involves a lot of learning and self-awareness as well. You know, how you see yourself. I'll start with a couple of things. The first one, and it, it applies to everyone, irrespective of whether you're a woman or you are part of an underrepresented group, it applies to everyone, is to contribute to the business, to an organization in general. It's important that you understand how the organization creates value. And as you move up, it's even more important. So I think the biggest thing is to understand how the organization creates value in the business. And with that, you connect. You connect to... You know, this is how we make money. This is how we develop our people. This is how we connect with our communities and all that. So I would say if I look back to even at the time where I hadn't really learned how to communicate, you know, be more articulated, I always had the business at the very core of my thinking so uh do we sell this? Do we produce that? and so on. So that's the first one. When people understand that what you're trying to do is you're trying to do what is best for the company and the organization. And the second one is people have always been what matters the most to me, and that comes from my family. In any organization, I always like to develop talent. You know, I'll take my experience in France, in China, for example, When I moved to China, you know, you can imagine if we're talking about gender traits, you can imagine when I moved to China, the Chinese culture is the farthest it can be from my own culture. Mm-hmm. So if anything, they can say outspoken. Wow, that's shocking. You can't really produce a shock in the system around you if you say the wrong thing. So you can be disrespectful without mm-hmm. really meaning it. So I'm just adding all this context in the sense that for you to have a real positive impact, you need to understand the environment. So always understanding where the value is created, having people at the very core, which was always and has always been connected to what my family taught me, and then presenting solutions. So if I go back, the hardest part of my life in terms of learning these lessons was when I was a teenager, I used to argue a lot with my father. I would complain a lot to my father and those were probably the hardest. My father would always be telling me, more these things oh you know you're always you know finding these issues you're always disagreeing with me so I learned a lot of that with my father saying when you present problems you better bring solutions mm. and that's the third thing that I would say so how you create value always having people at the very core and being mindful of what the other person is going to hear and it applies not only to gender it applies to cultures it applies to different backgrounds and the third one is when you present Problems, make sure you present a solution or at least a few ideas to be a contribution, to contribute to the solution. You know, those are there. That you can say, that you can have those things said to you. Yes, she's too driven. Probably they have said some of those things, but they may say, oh, she's too driven and all that. But when you say you care a lot about the people and you're bringing people along the journey that you set dreams and ambitions for everyone, and you move as a group, you're a team player
0: mm-hmm. that
2: helped manage that. We still need to deal with bias. And part of what I do today is to make sure I help everybody around me to raise awareness of how difficult it is for all those groups that are different, how difficult it is for them to deal mm-hmm. with the unconscious bias.
0: I remember on the panel at the event, you mentioned that sometimes when we're trying to be different and trying to fit in, it could be heavy because you're trying to be someone else mm-hmm. every single day and what you say. And do you remember a time maybe in your early career or where you felt like you were putting on just a different face every single day until you realize like, this is too heavy for me? Like, let me just be myself a little bit more, because I think a lot of us struggle with that. What advice do you have for us?
2: When I moved to France, it was the hardest because it was the first time that I lived outside Colombia. So the first time that I really had an experience dealing with a huge contrast with not only my culture, but also my character and all these different things. Plus, there is this component of, you know, Paris is a special place where Parisian waiters can make you feel you're probably the worst person on earth, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're up here and you're down here. so. I'm not saying the French in general, Parisian waiters are very special, Parisian drivers. So I'm not speaking the language very well, because when I moved to Paris, I could order food. I can say basic things, but I wasn't quite fluent. You're a minority. So I would start a meeting, for example, and I had this colleague where we would start a meeting. They were all native speakers, and she would look at me and say, oh, we have to speak English today mm-hmm. and make a pause. Then after the fourth time, I said, no, we can speak French. Now, at the end of the day, I would have, you know, headache every day for six months. Now, I always say, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think it's quite right in, in the case mm-hmm. because six months later, I was fluent in French. But for a short period of time, I tried to fit in. Mm-hmm. I tried to fit in and you're like, is it how you dress, how you speak? Or maybe you tried to fit in by having a profile and uh, you try to be less visible. And you spend so much energy. And what happens is that what makes you stand out, you just waste it Mm -hmm. because it goes quiet. You know, after a while, you realize, you know, you spend and waste so much energy that is just not right. Or maybe there are days that when you're tired that you just lose it. So after a while, I realized, look, you know, actually the people that like me, and I had quite a few friends and colleagues in Paris that were like oh it's fun you know you have different energy and all that And then I started realizing actually people like this side of me that is completely non-Parisian and when I realized that I said first of all because I said this is a waste of time and I'm not going to be successful being the non-Parisian <laughs> and realizing that I had something different to bring to the table I said I'm going to be myself that was just as a normal individual contributor Later on, as I started leading teams, I said, this is the type of leader I want to be. And fast forward to the more recent years, I've said, I'm going to drive this agenda that is going to have all the voices contributing. Everybody's going to have a voice and have equal share of voice. So this is kind of like accelerating and this is the type of leader that I want to be.
1: I love that. Thank you for sharing. You know, going to the topic of career and career advancement, you know, while you were navigating your journey, you met a lot of women that you felt were really capable of taking on larger roles, but you noticed that they weren't really moving up at the same speed as you. And so you started kind of questioning leadership on, well, why haven't we looked at, you know, X person for this role? What made you speak out about that? Why do you think that the answers to these were always, oh, those women aren't ready yet? Why do you feel that leadership always uses that as a caveat to why they have not promoted a certain individual that might be a woman? And what have you seen really hold people back from those leadership roles? It's an interesting
2: question in the sense that it applies to any one of us
1: when we deal with
2: something that is unknown or not well understood. And my experience working in France, and I would say in particular working in China, I became aware of so many different types of leadership. And I would say China because I'm so outspoken. And most of my career has been in the U.S. or in the Western world, and especially in the U.S. We understand leadership as somebody who sets direction. We talk about vision. We talk about inspiring. So a leader is usually visible. It's outspoken and so on. And then I moved to China and I met all these very effective leaders that were more quiet or would listen a lot more and would say very little and then work in a very different way, still very effective. Then I say, well, you know, now there are so many different types of leaderships. And then I started saying, you know, if I could be wrong about the way I saw leadership before, anybody can be wrong. And it's not only leadership, it's just interpreting behaviors differently. I had interesting stories in France, how they would misinterpret my very latin behavior as way too friendly more than i wanted them to see in me <laughs> with this awareness you know how we project ourselves can be misinterpreted the same applied to leadership for many years you know Slumberger trying to promote more women and so on and somehow you know said, not ready, not ready we say well we need mentoring and the first answer was slumberjait has never done mentoring and when we try their work mm-hmm. so i worked with a couple of my friends and colleagues and we say, okay let's try and this pilot. So very often, the concept not ready is based on we're comparing these, the sets of attributes or conditions to a template, a template that we've used for years, or even, you know, us, what do we define as a leader? Who do we think is going to be successful in those positions? But all of us have seen, especially in energy, you know, most of the leaders have been men. So the question is, is she assertive enough? Is she going to be the person that can be with the president of his business or is she going to be with this customer and this and that. So that was very much the interpretation of, the definition of, is she ready or not? So we did, we ran a pilot and it was about, where is it that we're failing in identifying the talent that we need. And is this really a leadership thing or is it more our interpretation of what it means to be an effective leader? And with that, we achieved and we continue to make a lot of positive impact in two different things. How we women project ourselves because there's some of these things that we can do better, like the risks that we take in terms of accepting opportunities to stretch ourselves and so on, claiming our achievements And our relationships that we talk about at the beginning and the awareness around us. Many people that see, okay, if she wants to include other people and listen more and be more inclusive, or if she doesn't say, hey, I'm ready now and so on, that does not mean that she's not assertive. What it means is a totally different type of leadership. Female leadership is not necessarily the one that fits 100% that template that we grew up with, because that template fits only one type of leadership.
0: I love that. I think one thing that I find very fascinating is that you looked around, you noticed that there was this difference in women advancing. And unlike many others, maybe especially women, and we had this topic at our Pursuing Greatness was women aren't as supportive towards other women. And that's something that we see all the time. And I remember you mentioned this and I love it is you said, when you get a seat at the table, bring up more chairs and like have more women. But for example, the mentorship with the wise, it's for women, helping women, supporting women. And it's really incredible that you decided to do that because most people who are successful and they are a minority, they want to be the only minority in the room because it's you know, can you talk a little bit about bringing more chairs to the table and why that is so passionate towards you? This is probably my
2: favorite question of all. And <laughs> it's so close to my heart. I am grateful by nature because my parents taught me and my family taught me where we are, we are privileged. Privilege, mm-hmm. I'll start by saying we're privileged because we're loved and we grew up in a loving environment. So I'll start with that and we're healthy and we have so many good things. So we should share that. So with that, where i am is because many people trusted me many people wanted to give me an opportunity and even when you talk about hey you're outspoken and that you know there were times that probably somebody said oh gosh she speaks her mind and all that they were ready to mentor me they were ready to say go for it and i said i'm not ready what i said before we women said i'm not ready i'm not ready and I have mentors. Many of them, most of them were men in the industry. We, unfortunately, there aren't many women in leadership positions. So in my career, mostly men, and they were great mentors. So when I think about that and thinking all the things that I've had the opportunity to experience and all that, I feel this huge sense of responsibility to share it with others. I have a huge sense of responsibility to pay it forward. At the same time, I talked about curiosity and I talked about, you know, this lesson or these lessons, all the things that I learned living in France, you know, Spain and China and all that experience in different cultures. And the huge benefit, I mean, having decisions made in diverse teams is just a totally different level of decision making. And I'm not talking about women only, it's different backgrounds, it's different Income levels is different, stories, you name it. So I have seen the benefits in my whole career. I have seen the benefits. And over the past few years, I have always had teams that are very diverse in nature. So for me, this is not about one chair. This is a growth mindset. This is the pie can always be bigger. And Mm -hmm. we should always be working on making the world better. We will be better if the world is better. I saw the benefits of having these different ways of thinking, the diversity of thought, having many different people around the table. And when we had more women, because in this case, diversity meant bringing more women to the table, because in my last position, I was the only woman in the team. I was the only woman reporting to the CFO. In today's role, in many of the meetings I am, is almost 50-50. Very often it is 50-50, and sometimes it is more women than men, because Jacobs is a purpose-led organization, and it has been working on this for a few years now. So you see the benefit of having different voices and so on. So first, is not because it's, we need to bring more chairs, is we already see the benefit. We have seen the benefit. Many schools and many Entities, organizations have done this research. They have shown the value of diverse teams in financials and creativity and so on. So if I have a chair, I can bring more chairs. It's also about having the ability to share our experiences with others. And as I had that benefit, I should share it. And I have the ability to share it not only with one. I have the ability to share it with many people this will benefit the company, this will benefit my city, my communities and all that. So to me, it's almost a no brainer. It makes me feel good. And if I can help other people do better, of course.
1: You know, Claudia, for those who don't know, I think it's really important to really highlight what you did with WISE and what it is. If you could tell us a little bit about what it is, why you started it, and also one thing that maybe surprised you once you really got into it and you started doing the pilots and understanding kind of what was holding women back, what is one of those things that maybe you didn't think was actually an issue but really was a common theme that you saw between those that participated? And then lastly, how men have been a big support of it. I remember you speaking about that at the event, how it takes men as well to bring more women to the table.
2: Yeah. So WISE stands for Women Inspiring, Supporting and Empowering Each Other. We started WISE with, you know, two basic questions. I mean, basic in the sense that you can say it very easily, but big challenges. The first one is, why aren't women rising? And the other one is, how can we accelerate the readiness of women to assume leadership positions? And the challenge at that time was in the finance function as Slumberger, we had over 60%. The total of the function was over 60% women. Still, as you moved up, that percent dropped to less than 25%. And as I said, I was the only woman reporting to the CFO. Now, how can you explain that when the total of a function was still over 60%? And every year we were in this annual talent review global, and we had this, this answer, as Jamie, you said it, they're not ready, they're not ready. So we said, what can we do differently? Because we were really trying to promote more women and try many different things for a few years until a couple of my peers and I said, let us try something different. Let us run a pilot in the sense that we want to understand for many women and at the levels where we are getting closer to the top, what is working and what isn't. And the other one, we start mentoring. So we will have this. We had an 11 mentee pilot and it was mainly to understand what was going wrong. And the other one, you know, we did, and this is something that I believe we see a lot in women, and it's important that we do it because maybe we didn't see it so much before, is we were very vulnerable in the sense that we told those mentees, we said, we don't have a clear plan. Here we are to discover and we're going to co-create. So mm-hmm. please help us co-create this program. What we want to do is to define a template that we can scale up so we can cover more and more women in the finance function. At that time, it was only the finance function. Fast forward, we created a program where mentoring became a big thing. Then women from other functions and operations at Slumberger started joining. We started having great sponsors that were so excited that this was working. One of them the president of the Middle East operations at Schlumberger, Tarek. Then we had many men from his team. We had quite a few men in finance helping us. So we started having many men that say, I see it. I see the interest. And you know, some of the wonderful pieces of feedback that we got from them, is say, we had all this talent. We just didn't have an organized way of understanding this and the understanding this was so important you know on both sides and i started talking about it before is one is we women how we project ourselves like taking new opportunities very often we say i'm not ready i'm not ready Mm -hmm. and i said it a few times in my career and i was very fortunate to have those managers and mentors who said yes you are ready and you go for it they Mm push me and then on the other side that manager or that mentor being very smart and kind to say, she just doesn't know, but she's ready. He could have taken the easy way out to say, oh, she's saying, no, I move on to the next Mm -hmm. candidate who's going to be say yes, and I move on and I take it easy. So the managers and the mentors that started participating in the program, they say, oh, wow, she is assertive. What happens is this is a very common situation among women. That we say we're not ready. We're always trying to think, you know, we want to check the 10 boxes mm-hmm. that require the job. Very often, men, they check one or two boxes and they say, Yeah, mm-hmm. where do I sign? We women, we think we need to check the 10 boxes. This is, again, well researched. As both sides started seeing this, we say, Okay, it's a promotion. It's okay to miss a few boxes because that's what you're going to learn. The other one is claiming our achievements. Very often, we are taught at school. And in our families, that being humble is a very important virtue. We don't talk about our achievements. So what happens is big organizations and even small organizations, they don't see all the wonderful things that we do. And we don't network professionally. We're very good at building relationships, but we don't leverage the relationships. There is something inside of us that say, this is a friendship. Maybe it is wrong to use those relationships for business purposes. And all of those different things are very important as we move up in the corporate world. And those things, so the mentoring sessions are very focused on that, raising awareness of why those behaviors, why relationships are important, why women, we behave in a certain way. So it's both sides behaving like that. So the allies have been very, very important. And as women understanding some of those behaviors that are important to address.
0: Yes. Well, as someone who is very lucky to be part of WISE internally, I've let you know just how impactful it's been towards my career. And I even share it with Jamie. All of the lessons that I've learned in each month when we get to talk with a mentor, I'll share it with Jamie. And this is something that I think most companies or any company, no matter how small or big you Mm -hmm. are, it's very doable and it has such a big impact on you know, those going through their careers, but also like you mentioned, just realizing the talent that you have, because it's not every day that we get to interact with leadership or higher leadership. And these were really incredible because you do get that one-on-one and they get to know you a little bit more, but you also get guidance, which you might not necessarily get have a mentor. So it's been incredible. Everyone that's part of it, they love it. I know you guys started a LinkedIn page for wise. So you could be from any company. If you want to join the LinkedIn page, we share a lot of leadership content and just again, stronger together. We're trying to be together regardless of which company you're from. We all want to advance women in in corporate. So Claudia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're so happy you came. Yeah. You have so much value to give. We can make this podcast like three hours with how much we want to <laughs> ask you, but you know we'll leave that for a future event maybe one day. Yeah. So thank you yeah. so much, Claudia.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you, board. I'm very happy. And Maciel said it, you know, hashtag stronger together. We are much better. We can help each other with kind words, with tough feedback as well to keep improving. We want to be better every day. And we want to make the world a better place with the help of our allies
1: and all of us together. Thank you so much, Claudia.